Hey, John, pleasure to have you on the podcast. How's things? Doing good. Thanks, Stefan. I'm glad to be here. Thanks for having me. No, it's been a pleasure. Whereabouts are you based at the moment, John? Den yeah, I'm just in Denver, Colorado. Been here for, gosh, two decades now. So I, it, it's snow. We got a little bit of snow on the ground. But yeah. I'm thinking about skiing, so I think I can take it. Yes, that type that season here in the UK, it's it's getting cold as well. Um, no snow, but yeah, it's uh it's uh getting cold. It's that time of year again. Oh yeah, I, I spent a couple of years in London. I think you and I talked about that earlier, so I know that I know the weather pattern well this time of year. Yeah, it's um well, some people love it. It's a bit too cold for me personally, but uh yeah, it's uh it's um one of those things. It's part of the UK culture and oh yeah. Tradition. You're you're a thick-skinned Brit, I'm sure. I bet you could take it. Just about, <laughs> just about, you know. <laughs> um, well, jo John, jumping into to the pod. So the the first thing I'm I'm keen to um, give our listeners is just a quick intro. So if you don't mind, just introducing yourself, and then we'll jump straight in from there. You bet. I, my name is John Williamson. I'm the vice president of North American Sales for a company called Sock Radar, which is in the cybersecurity space. Um, I've been in cybersecurity for a number of years. Um, I've also been an entrepreneur. Um, I've been a, a, a successful and failed entrepreneur many times and uh, have most recently really spent probably the last five or six years helping cybersecurity companies to build their go-to-market, both with regards to some strategy, tactics, marketing programs, messaging, and importantly, building out sales forces and teams. Sweet. Yeah, love it. And where I'm keen to start is is how it started for you. Um, so if mm. we rewind the clock, um, going back to your earlier days, what was the the journey mm. to the sort of sales space initially? Was it the conventional route or tell the audience around that? Sure. Um, I'd, I'd say probably the, the two words that would define my entry into the sales space in particular would be of necessity and peer pressure necessity because I needed, I was young and I was fresh out of college and I needed to pay the rent. Uh, peer pressure is because my wife, if I didn't get a job quickly to help pay the rent, she was probably going to either threaten me or leave me or worse. But uh, so, you know, as I, as I looked at the opportunities for me and I was uh, naturally, always naturally entrepreneurial uh, in the way I thought, kind of an independent streak, you know, um, hyperactive, energetic thinker. And so sales was a natural a fit. And, and since that time, I've been able to exercise both plenty of opportunities to carry the bag. And I was, at, you know, early stage, early, uh, back in the day, I was uh, had, was selling for one of the first MSSPs that became very successful in the space and had leveraged that in some other positions, started some companies along the way, um, and have been lucky enough to land at, at Sock Radar, which is really a, a, a just a superb fit for me. Yeah, absolutely. And we'll go into more detail around that um, slightly later in the podcast. Um, mm -hmm. If you look back over your career right now, um, is there a, a, a career decision that you've made that you would actually go back and change if you could roll the clock back? Ooh, that's a good question. I mean, it, gosh, where do you start? <laughs> I mean, well, you're forcing me to rank them and come up <laughs> with the top one. I mean, there's just so, there's just so many. No, I mean, I, I think that the only reason I answer it that way is because um, anybody out there who has uh, both in sales, I think it's interesting, both in sales and, and in the entrepreneurial realm, um, you have to have some level of risk 
uh, a lack of risk aversion, I should say. And so I've taken a lot of calculated, sometimes, you know, um, kind of impromptu and in other cases, very well thought through, but I've taken my share, fair share of risks. Um, and I wouldn't necessarily want to go back and change any of those things per se. Not all of them have led to success. And I've certainly had um, my fair share of them. But if I had to go back and, and think that through and think I was going to change one thing, I mean, it would really be probably the decisions uh, around um, how quickly I grew companies. One of the things I've learned about is the importance to grow carefully and to really be a solid and good steward of resources and capital. Um, I think a lot of cases, I've been in situations where Fresh capital infusions, whether the companies that I had started or those companies I was working for, was a tendency to really rush forward. You know, it's almost like that money burns a hole in your pocket. And I've learned the the value of careful, much more careful, methodical approach to go to market strategy and developing strategies and tactics and field. And that I think, particularly as we think about you know you and I connecting around Aspiron, um, is the search is you know also carefully selecting really good people, the right people in the right conditions. We can talk a little bit about that too. Because I've been so close to so many startups, I've learned the value of very distinct personality profiles, the kinds of people that I have, have looked to attract, you know, and those numbers of people obviously within the capital uh, restrictions, but also smart spend. So I'd say that, you know, I look back at some of the decisions I've made, I think I've probably made some, some difficult hiring both decisions and, and um, decisions where we've had to part ways with people. So mm -hmm. I'd say if I had to go back and change some of those things, I wish I could have gone back in time and leveraged my wisdom that I have now to more carefully approach scaling out businesses and particularly headcount. And, and diving into that then, um, are you able to share some of the learnings? Because I know we've spoken as well before and mm -hmm. you've interviewed hundreds, if not thousands of, of sales. Yeah. Folks, right? Um, yeah. And you, you've probably seen uh, the good, bad, the ugly within that. Um, what some of your kind of key learnings from, I, I guess, yeah, hiring perspective, first of all, of, of all those people that you've spoke to over the years, how was yeah. that sort of, yeah, what are some key takeaways and learnings from that? Okay, probably a couple. Uh, what I'll do is I'll focus on the, the for the purposes of this, I'll focus on sales hires. Sure. Um, and I think because that's probably a, a relevant um, vertical it is particularly in the early stage businesses. When I say early stage, let's call it anywhere from seed series A, you know, emergent. And in my case, mostly technology businesses. Well, pretty much most all, but a few. Um, there are certain things that I think that are, there are certain personality profiles that lend themselves quite well to the early stage businesses. You know, there are things like flexibility, because one of the things that's constant, and I know this is a cliche, but they say cliches are cliches because they're true. The nature of early stage businesses is the willingness, the ability, and really the conviction to pivot very quickly, to be very cognizant of emerging opportunities. This could be amongst your personality profiles and your, your, or your personas that you're selling into. This might be your go-to-market tactics and strategies. These might be simply a matter of um, how we're dealing with product changes in a really fast, swift-moving, agile environments, and I think flexibility, ambition—you know—the the, the people oftentimes associate with salespeople with, you know, those people that just simply carry a bag, they're handed a quota, you got your OTE, go, you know, meet those requirements. Oftentimes, it's a really bumpy path 
you know, especially in early stage businesses, it's not a case where you just hire a bunch of people. They all make quota very quickly. And yeah. so the ability to, to, for me to have found people that are both passionate, open to change, really flexible, and, and, they're, and they're comfortable in, in shape-shifting environments. I've really found that flexibility, kind of combining that passion, that energy with somebody who's willing to shift gears really quickly um, has been a, a, an earmark for some of the most successful salespeople that, that I've hired and seen. You know, other things too that I've learned um, is, and this is again, somewhat uh, wrote in terms of the, the cliche nature of the statement, but I found that those people I've hired that have the most intense combination of intellectual curiosity and empathy mm. are really important. Empathy, you know, it, it, one of the most common forms of empathy is the effective management of a sales process. Really be willing to put yourself in a customer's shoes or a prospect's shoes. Really being curious about what are the metrics? What are the drivers? Who's involved? What are the criteria? What are the, some of the things that we need to be aware of that could be problems down the road? And, and that level of intensity in terms of both the curiosity and the empathy are really earmarks that I found are, are uh, kind of the, the six, most successful salespeople. And I think the third piece, which is something I'll, I'll bring up, and again, because of some of our conversations, I'm always surprised. Oftentimes, if I was going to give any advice to salespeople who are out there looking for work and they're interviewing, um, going into an interview, it seems obvious. You know, you're going in there, you're ingratiating yourself, you're you're trying to show people you're a good guy, you're a good woman. You kind of got to get the the ability to interact. You're cool under pressure. You can answer questions. I oftentimes it's I, I find how often they don't realize they're in a sales call. Yeah. And the person on the other end of the line is likely watching very carefully, whether instinctually or overtly based on these criteria, how well are they really selling? And it isn't necessarily just selling themselves and their background, their capabilities, their accomplishments. It's also an ability to zero in what exactly is that hiring manager, that sales leader who you're talking to maybe the C-level, what are they really trying to do? What's their objective? And what role is this hire going to play in meeting that objective? And I think it's so important for salespeople to really understand how a sales process runs and then treat the interview as if a sales process because they're not only going to be articulating a lot about themselves, but they're going to be also um, showcasing their ability to run an effective process and to really show that level of empathy for solving for those pain points. So. I think that's a, you know, those are things that I've learned to to look for, both in terms of attributes, but also just the, in terms of hiring, let's call it a hiring behavior. Yeah, it's super interesting. I, and I've spoke to other sales leaders around that of um, going into interview, run it like a sales process, as you say, um, because you're you are getting tested you're getting assessed on that um and if if you're not doing it you're you're missing a trick from an interview interview yeah. perspective and what we've discussed around i'm keen to to move the conversation around um your mm -hmm. role at sock radar because i know you're doing something very interesting um which i don't know a lot of sales comp uh or some, well, sales teams but also cybersecurity companies that are doing something similar to this so yeah. We've discussed about how the buyer persona is changing. Are you able to elaborate more around your thoughts around the buyer persona and how that's sort of evolving? Yeah, I'd love to. I, I yeah, I, I am so excited about my my role, but also the the you know the company I'm working for, Sock Radar. It's not well known in the U.S. 
at this point. It's ironic. It's one of the fastest growing cybersecurity companies in the world. Um, and but I think the word's getting out. But to, to, if, to your point or to your question, the buyer persona, how it's changing, and I, you know, I can obviously talk about what we're doing and, and uh, to adjust and, and obviously address that. You know, it's it, over the course of the last, let's call it five, six, seven years, I've been noticing that the buyer persona in cybersecurity in this particular case is changing quite rapidly. Um, the buyer persona, and I'm going to call it B2B buying environment, starting to much more mimic and match the rhythms and the processes and the cycles of the B2C environment. I think it's naturally uh, intuitive when you think about also the the very people in positions of power and cybersecurity inside these the four walls of our prospects and companies. These are typically younger people, you know, you know the millennials and you know, of course, Gen X are coming into these positions of power. They're coming from a world where all of their buying decisions have been adroitly very entrenched in the online digital experience. And they bring certain sensibilities. You know, there are certainly, you know, they're they're very unlikely to want to engage with a salesperson, quite frankly. And and I there's a Harvard Business Review I was reading recently that really I think puts it to stark contrast when you think about the generations. First and foremost, I'll say that only 17% is what they found. They interviewed about 1,000 decision makers. These were SaaS platform buyers and decision makers. Um, only 17% of their total time was spent talking to a salesperson. And this isn't just the salesperson that is from one company. This is all salespeople involved with the decision process. That means that if they're talking to three companies, that 70% is divided by three. So you might be talking about as a sales professional, you might only have like 5% of the total buying time is spent interacting with a prospect. Sure. And when you look at the demographics behind those prospects, it's even more interesting. They pulled the same, they looked at the, they, they divided them up in age groups, in this particular case, generational profiles. And they found that baby boomers wanted to talk to a salesperson uh, about only about uh, uh 60% of the time they felt was important to be interacting with a salesperson. They looked at millennials, on the other hand, and it was closer to 5 to 8% of the time that they preferred to be talking to a salesperson. And I don't think that's necessarily misanthropic as a generational trend. I think it's a tendency for them to be mimicking their B2C digital buying experiences, and they're applying it to the B2B buying experiences or purchasing experiences, you know, they're really more likely to want to run the journey through digital means. They'll go to your website. They're talking to their peers. They're looking online. They're looking at peer reviews. Um, they're doing their own research. They're also, you know, much more likely to want to experience the products themselves, you know, kind of going to step out of the way. Let me take a look at what we've got. And that's really where I think SOC Radar, in my case, I've been so excited about it is because I've been watching this trend. I've been talking about it for a long time. To find a company like Socrator that's really executing on that premise has been really exciting for me because of the nature of the freemium model. They've been really open about a product-led growth strategy, oh. and I think it, it lends itself really well uh, to that emergent kind of changing dynamic in terms of the persona and the people on the on the buyer side. Yeah. And can you talk um, in a bit more detail around what you're actually doing differently at Sock Radar? Because from when we 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 spoke, right, it's kind of breaking that traditional yeah. sales um, status quo. Yeah. And I, one point that I'm keen to discuss with the audience is is around killing individual comp plans. Um, oh yeah, things yeah. related to the, the buyer persona. It's it's fascinating. I and um, I guess there's two sides of it, but just keen to hear your take on 
just how that's how that's how that came about but also how that's evolving and do you have yeah. any sort of like metrics and data to suggest that that's working for the business as well yeah we're, we're, we're kind of broken a lot of molds uh broken some you know cracks and eggs at sock radar in that regard because we have such a dominant product-led growth strategy then you have to ask yourself where does a salesperson fit in i've talked about the changing dynamics and the buyer personas and so forth in our particular case you know we have salespeople who are largely selling a product that is available freely and something that anybody can subscribe to so the question is what roles do the salespeople play in that so we've had to really think about how do we our go-to-market strategies how do we deploy our salespeople? how do they interact with our freemium you know base stock creator has over seventeen thousand organizations around the globe using the platform uh, because of the way that it's distributed. And, you know, when we think about the, the, our, our sales team, you know, we've really had to rethink how do we go about this? And I've also mentioned, this has been a large part of our quick fun, our, our quick growth in the North American market. We've staffed up really quickly and, and um, brought in a, a number of really sharp people uh, that I'm really excited about. But when we first faced this challenge together, we said, okay, we have this extraordinary installed user base. We have our, these professional cybersecurity salespeople. We're going to you know, go out and we're going to spread the word. But importantly, we're going to also engage with these freemium users who are you know, completely dis indistinct in terms of the geography and where they might be across the North America and the continent. What we decided to do is we decided to really take a, a, a chance. And I've never done anything like this before. And I have to say this, one of the testaments to one of the things that makes this so wild is that we took a look at what we needed to do. And we first thing we did is we got together and collaboratively said, okay, what are our targets? How far do we want to take this thing? How hard can we mash the gas in terms of growth and you know revenue? And we came to a pretty aggressive number. We decided, you know what, we we think this is something that we can achieve. We look at our buyer, we look at our installed base, we look at what we can do, we look at the you know the track records of our people. All these things kind of came together in this collaborative, you know, soup, if you will. And we start thinking about it. We made a really interesting decision, and it's, it's had some really interesting consequences. Traditionally, of course, you have individual bag carrying reps. Everybody's got a quota, got some basic KPIs. You know, you're handed this quota, you're handed your bag. Here's your tools, here's your training. Go, and it's very individualized. And I've I've long thought, you know, salespeople are highly shaped by that experience. It's kind of a combination of greed and abject fear and constant anxiety. You know, I've got this number, I've got to make it. And I'm also looking constantly around at my peer group. Where do I rank? There's a rubric. I don't want to be last, you know, and, and those are certainly proven motivating factors. I mean, I think those things are tried and true, but what we did is we decided to take a completely different approach. We decided, you know what, we've got this number. Hmm. It's really aggressive. What if we decided that we all shared it and we took this kind of team mentality, the idea being is, and I'm going to use a apologies to my my british counterparts here because i i'll use the term football in a particularly difficult way but i'll say it and we thought we talked okay here we are a team football team we want to win a championship that's what we're after we want this we, we want to win and we want to go big and we want to be able to, to to leave our mark and we want to be able to show you know that we can achieve these revenue targets but we also acknowledge that we have this team and everybody's working towards the same goal what if we stripped individual quotas and we made everybody's goal was the company's goal and you might think of it as a bonus structure, but what we did is we said, I'll tell you what we'll do is we're actually going to share the achievement and the benchmarks of achieving this goal together. Traditional sales and you know teams have OTE, you've got your base salary, you've got your commissions. We all have those as well, but instead what we decide is everybody's commissions are predicated on the team goal. 
So if we get to 25%, that's 25%. Get to 50%, that's 50%. 100%, that's 100%, and so forth. And we, and we untethered it in, in large part with time. We just put a backstop and said, okay, our goal is to get this number, number of revenue. We're going to get it by this date. Everybody buys into it. Does everybody feel comfortable? They said, press the start button, go. It obliterates geographical territories. It obliterates a lot of things. What it really, though, is engenders what we found it does really well. It engenders this sense of team. The team is so excited about what we are accomplishing together. They're helping each other. They don't worry about, you know, the geographies all of a sudden don't become so important because every deal is vital. Every deal is important. And everybody has different skill sets as well. Some people are better at the enterprise, large, complex, slower moving deals. Others are great with a high transaction, dealing with our freemium customers and quickly helping them to understand, hey, look at what we can get if you can, you know, upgrade you to a licensed version. And what we found is it's really allowed that those people that we brought in who have really distinct individual capabilities and skills, their superpowers, if you will, and they're able to flourish in this environment by untethering that kind of that onerous individual target. It's not to say that there is an accountability because there's other ways to manage it. There's other ways to measure it. There's KPIs. How many meetings have you had? How many calls have you made? How many you know PC, POCs have you in, yeah, uh, in, initiated? You know, how well are you working with the internal groups? Are you using the internal resources effectively? Um, how well are you executing a simple methodology? We use MedPIC, for example. How well are you executing that methodology? So there are plenty of ways we can keep track of how people are doing. But this idea of the shared goal has really created a, a, a remarkable environment. Um, if you, you know, you could just see it on people's faces and in their and their approaches and their enthusiasm. Everybody feels we're in it to win it. And that's been a lot of fun for me to be able to, to try something new. Um, who knows? It, it, you know, Maybe we'll write a book about it someday, but we're in the early stages, but so far, so good. Yeah. I was going to say, I don't know how much you can share, but presume you're tracking it. What does the data look like so far? Is it a positive sign or is it a negative sign from what you've seen so far? It's absolutely positive. We 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 really had the the team focused uh, in the early fall. I mean, we're really we're expanding very quickly in the U.S. market, and the results have been extraordinary. What we've been able to accomplish in a relatively short period of time. I think what's and there are other metrics that we look at in terms of like things like close rates and you know time to close. We're looking at the of course we're looking at the internal funnel conversion. We're looking at individual pipeline generation. So far, so good. It, it, we're really pleased with how things have progressed so far. Yeah, interesting. If you scrap geographies and other things, do you get um, consultants stepping on each other's toes? Or is, is that not, have you not really seen that? Is, is there still a little bit of structure around who people are targeting? That's really a great question. You know, what I found is that we haven't run into that. And I think largely because if you think about it, a win is a win. The win is that we all share that win. And I think by sharing that win, it really engenders a sense of camaraderie and cooperation, collaboration. We have multiple deals, as a matter of fact, in our pipeline right now where there's more than one person working it. Okay. And in particular cases where, for example, we have a deal where we're working with a particular uh, prospect and they've introduced the, uh, a channel partner and they said, hey, we'd like for you guys to work with this with this guy. And typically what we found is it's really opportunistic, but we found it's it's appropriate. We'll bring in somebody else saying, no problem. We can take care of you there and we'll have somebody who manages the channel relationship. We'll have somebody who manages the direct relationship simultaneously. And they're really working together. We have uh, other instances where somebody had uh, made an introduction because it was a past prospect or customer of them. They made an introduction 
and we were collaborating as a team and it turns out that somebody had particular background or capabilities in, for example, cyber insure tech, yeah. knew the cyber insurance realm really well. And they said, hey, I can, you know, I know a lot about that. I've been talking to so-and-so and they said, really, would you want to, can you join the next meeting with me? I think it'd be perfect to have somebody like you involved. And you can kind of see that, because that, the goal is such that we have, you know, mounted this challenge. It's all about getting to that number and we all win when we get to that number. It's really helped with the interpersonal dynamics and the, the team collaboration. So at this yeah. point, we've had no real conflicts. On the contrary, I think we've had more collaboration than I've ever seen in a sales organization. Yeah, that's interesting. And how does, so I presume you're, you're still going to hire your growing business, right? How, how does your hiring metrics change or do they not change for sales people? Because do you have, yeah, do you have to adjust that when you're looking for a, 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 a player that's on an individual comp plan? Does that then change to someone that's going to come into a dynamic where, let's mm -hmm. be honest, it's, it's new, right? In the, in the sales realm of things. There's a couple of ways to answer that. Number one, I found um, consistently when I've talked to uh, hires and uh, new prospects and interviewees, um, I'm very quick on the trigger to let them know how we roll and let them know what the program looks like. And I tell, you know, and I'm, I'm very careful to kind of perceive because some people might not be a good cup of tea for them. You know, it might be the good fit. I found consistently this real excitement about the idea. I mean, I've really had no issues with that. Um, on the other hand, you know, it's kind of to also answer your question. I think from the standpoint of our growth modeling, how we're going to go to market, how do we add new people? When do we add new people? Um, one of the things earmarks of Sock Radar, and this is one of the reasons too, it's been such a good alignment for some of the, so many of the things I've learned about the, the, the nature of really well run, well operationalized uh, startups, early stage companies. Sock Radar is like almost like weaponized frugality. I mean, in, in, a, in a really positive, right? They've been very, because of the freemium model, it's really taken a lot of pressure off a lot of the high level, big iron marketing um, because we're able to spread the word so easily. It's like, hey, if I'd like to talk to you about our product, tell you what, try it yourself. Let me know what you think. We'll be back. That's really helped us to, to control costs. And I'm a big believer in not over hiring. Um, you know, let's let's work with a tactical team because you learn so much through that process and those dynamics. You're able to apply those to your modeling. Your modeling becomes much more informed, much more sophisticated, much more accurate as you start really looking at things like your carry limits. How many deals can a particular rep run at any given period of time? What's your total time to close? What's your in you know uh, uh, what's your in quarter close? Looking at your pipeline, your forecast metrics, all these things come into play, and you're able to do those things really efficiently. And I think in particular, it helps you to grow really uh, with a much more constrained outlook. Not to say that you're constrained with resources, but you just don't overdo it. And so I think, you know, as we go forward, we're able to, because of the team mentality, I think it's also an, enables us to get kind of the outcome in terms of productivity per headcount, which helps us to really understand it. The other thing it's helped us to do very quickly, just by because of the way we've been doing things, we've been starting to identify unique emergent opportunities, particularly in verticals, very quickly. And we found that this person came in, knew this vertical really well, started selling really effectively into that vertical. We start seeing faster twitch muscle movements in those particular verticals. I can then we adjust quickly. We say, let's bring in somebody else of that nature, somebody else that can handle those similar types of deals. So that's really opened us up to be able to make, I think, better decisions and more careful decisions without just saying, hey, let's spray and pray. Let's hire a bunch of people and see how they do.
yeah interesting and what what some of your um i don't know how much you can share john but what what some of the goals for for you um and and the team at, at sock radar over the next couple of years without a doubt they're really ambitious um it, you know I, I can say this with a level of confidence only because what the company accomplished internationally you know before the the they, they really moved heavily into the, the north american market i think i think the north american cybersecurity leaders the those persona are just starting to realize it's it's a really robust sophisticated if somebody's not familiar with it we bring to bear three distinct elements of cybersecurity that's all about looking outside the organization it's basically being to 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 it, it empowers teams to, with this advanced warning system that you can kind of see out there what are hackers looking for that we really look at you like from a hackers environment are looking for critical vulnerabilities looking for social network accounts they're looking for vip credentials that are leaking they're looking for stealer logs in the dark web there's so many attack vectors and we basically just bring it all together and warn our customers these things you can mitigate them now kind of cut the head off of the earliest stages of the cyber kill chain before they come become problems and we're starting to see that cybersecurity leaders are more inclined to want to consolidate their vendor list, we're a really good fit for that. I think attack surface management is one of the things that we uh, implement is really growing and gaining steam. Um, so to answer your question, they're really ambitious. We we fully intend that Socrate will become a very well-known force in the cybersecurity market, in the, in the North American market. And that's particularly my purview for today, but uh, they're, they're very ambitious. You'd be, you probably would be, be shocked and you would find it fun and, and you might even smile when you consider what our goals are um that we are very loud and proud and stating it they're extremely ambitious but the the indicators are all there like i said we have seventeen thousand organizations around the world already using our platform that we believe are very gonna very quickly gonna realize the value of upgrading their their solution and that's just about the freemium it's about the b2c and you know experience that you and i talked about i think it's it's going to take fire yeah, it's exciting. Um, I, th I think we're running out of time. There, there's so much I think we could talk about here, John. Um, but to kind of wrap up with one last question on my side, and then I don't know if you have anything you wanted to add before we finish, but yeah. just as a piece of advice, I guess. So if sales folks are listening to this, um, if yeah. you could go back in time, um, you, you look back over your whole career right now, um, what, what piece of advice would you give to a sales folk could be any level that you know now that you wish you knew maybe five, 10, 15 years ago? Oh, uh, you know, it's, a, it's almost like you asked me this question earlier in a, in a different guise and I'm going to, I'm going to bring up a new one. Cause I think when I think about helping younger or up and coming or anybody, a salesperson who's looking for work, even if they're seasoned, I don't think it's ever too late for this. Um, find mentors. I, I, I was so uh, independent and you know uh, aggressive when I was younger, and I think I I tended to not realize the inherent value of the people around me that I could have thought and you know consulted with, who I could use to help me better understand what are the things that are important. You know, for example. A lot of times I think salespeople go into an organization. Let's think about somebody who's looking at, at a new opportunity, a new organization. It's so important that they um, realize that it's actually a two-way street. It, 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 they really want to find an environment that's good for them. 
it's not just about finding one that they somebody wants them, they want to hire them, they because they you know they need good salespeople. Salespeople should also be conscious of the fact that they should look for good fit. It'll be much more rewarding for them. And two, once they do find those organizations, whether it's inside those four walls or even those that they can elicit outside those four walls, find a mentor. Mm. Look at somebody who you think that's a person I want to be like. That's a, it could be their personality. It could be the way they conduct themselves, my, how they treat other people, you know, some of those important emotional, you know, intelligence quotient skills we talk about. It might be their stature, what, what they've been able to accomplish. It could be financial. It could be any number of things. You know, you really ought to be thinking about what am I want to do and where do I want to go? What are the things that are important to me? But find those people around you and be overt about it. You know, tell them, I want to learn from you. I'd love to learn more about what you think about these things. Do you mind if I tag along, you know, in some way, shape, or form? Find those mentors. I find that it's a, it, I've learned as my career progressed too late. I wish I'd done it earlier, but it's never too late, I guess, is that those are like jet fuel to your professional development. They also make you more valuable to the organization within which you work as well. Um, a lot of times those people share things with you to us. And this is a salesperson. You know, I remember there was a CTO. I was uh, a quick story, but I was doing some ride-alongs one time. And there was, there was a couple of us in the car and we're going to a sales call and um, this is where you bring in a technical resource. And I remember him asking us, he goes, Hey, you know, what, 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 how do you, how do, quick question for you guys, how do we make money? And I remember at the time thing, what a, what a question. And it, you know, as we all kind of were giving our shots at it and going at it, you know, it was a really valuable experience for me to realize that he was thinking strategically. He was going into this account thinking, what do we do? How do we create value? And how do we actually make money? Where, you know, and he's thinking about things, but where's our margin? You know, how, what, what's, what's value for us? And it was an you know, early stage, you know, and I, and I remember thinking to myself, man, I hadn't really thought about it that way. And it's, you know, and it's important because if you create those relationships internally and you are, then you're able to, you know, facilitate those relationships with those mentors, it'll, it'll make you more valuable, make you more, you know, tuned to the, you know, what's important, make you develop personally, professionally. I, I think find mentors. Yeah. It's a great piece of advice and completely agree. Um, well, John, it's, it's been a pleasure. Is there anything else that you'd like to add uh, before we finish? No, other than Stefan, it has just been a pleasure. I, I just want to say how much I appreciate you taking the time to talk with me. I hope it's been worthwhile. I've, I've, uh, I've really appreciated this, this opportunity and um, look forward to, to your feedback. No, yeah, I've enjoyed it as well. Um, brilliant to have you on, John. I'm sure our audience will uh, appreciate some of the insights that you've shared and um, the way you're doing things differently. Uh, sock radar if, well. ever, if, if, if anybody ever wants to call me on anything that i've said <laughs> or i'm being honest and, and genuine if, if somebody wants to follow up me my linkedin profile i think will be part made available as this um reach out i i'm happy to to talk with people who find anything about this interesting or if there's any other things that i can clarify i'm always i'm happy to do that brilliant okay john well yeah thanks again and we'll chat soon thanks thanks a lot Stefan. talk to you soon um, bye.